Okay, Luke 15. And it says this now, that I'm just going to try and read it through, because if I comment, then it's going to, you know, there's so much to comment on, but let's just try and stick with the plan. So Luke 15 says this, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear him, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told him this parable, Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Does he not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way there is more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. There's so many keys in this text. Eh? Well, suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Does she not sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there's rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. And so he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and they squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out, the citizen of that country, who sent him to his fields to feed the pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And here am I starving to death. I will set out to go back to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servant, Quick, bring the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, so they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied. And your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and have never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when the son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son the father said, You are always with me and everything I have is yours, but we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and he's found. What a rich text, eh? Isn't it? Incredibly rich chapter. And so I want to say this to you, that if you miss verse 2 and 3, you've missed the whole point of this chapter. And I want to say to you that I've preached this, I, I think if I've preached out of Luke 15 a hundred times, that would be very conservative. And I missed 2 and 3. And so here we go. 2 and 3 is this. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Right? That's 2. So the Pharisees are there and they're complaining. They're muttering. 
And this is what they say. They, they, they believe the Pharisees of the day were the, were, the, were the moral people. They were the righteous people, self-righteous people. They, they thought that their righteousness was enough that Jesus should be hanging out with them, not hanging out with sinners. So they begin to mutter. And they're saying these things and Jesus hears them. And in response, it says this. It says, then Jesus told them this parable. And if we miss that, we miss the context that when Jesus tells these three stories about the lost, He's not actually talking to the lost. So if you can picture this in your imagination, He has Jesus with the crowd. These people are all gathered around Him as the sinners would in those days. And they all gathered around Him. And in the background, Jesus hears the Pharisees muttering. And then it says, then He told them this parable. Can you see that? So it's literally almost in a sense says, okay, to the last, hold on a minute here, I need to deal with these guys. And he tells them this parable. And we've got to understand this as well, is that this is one parable. See, man has broken this thing up into three different chapters, or three different parables. Parable of the lost coin, uh, sorry, parable of the lost sheep, parable of the lost coin, parable of the lost sons. If you were one of those people that takes notes, on the, the, the title for my sermon this, morning, this evening is The Third Prodigal. The Third Prodigal. And so those three stories, we break them up in three parts. But I want to say this, that when Jesus told him, he told it as a single parable. Right? R.T. Kendall defines a parable as this. He says a parable is a simple story that communicates a profound truth. Is that Okay. So Jesus has told a simple story, but He's trying to talk to these Pharisees, and He's trying to give them a profound truth. Is that okay? The Pharisees struggle with Jesus, but Jesus is trying to teach them something. They were the law keepers of the day. They thought that their righteousness was enough to please God. They were the good people, the moral people, and that's why they struggled with Jesus hanging around with sinners. They did it to Him in Luke 19 where he's hanging around with Zacchaeus, and Zacchaeus represents a political outcast. They did it to him in Luke 7, when he speaks to the prostitute. The prostitute represents a sexual outcast. In John chapter 4, Jesus hangs out with a Samaritan woman. She's a racial outcast. Jesus goes through his life just touching lepers, embracing the poor, hanging out with every kind of social outcast. And so for all of these outcasts, these racial outcasts, social outcasts, all of them, that's where Jesus is found. And these Pharisees are saying, why are you hanging out with those stinky people? Why are you hanging out with the smelly people? Come hang out with us. We've served God our whole lives. We've obeyed the law. We read the Old Testament every day and try and work out all of those laws in our lives. What are you doing out there with the sinners? Come hang with us. You should be with us, Jesus. The presence of God should be with us. But Jesus is trying to show them something. And so Luke 15 starts with a text about the lost sheep. And I want to say this. Finding the lost sheep speaks of great effort. Speaks of great effort. You know, when I used to read this, I always used to think, surely that would make people quite insecure. You know? Because you go, okay, this guy's got a hundred sheep, and one gets lost, so he's going to leave the 99 and go after the one. Poor 99. What about them? Wouldn't that make them feel insecure? I, but as of grown a little and read this thing, I, I, I think, no, it should make us more secure. <coughs> should make the 99 more secure, knowing this, that if I ever did get lost, 
This guy's coming for me. Amen. Jesus is coming for us when we stray. He's not going to let us stray. Not going to let us run wild. So we can be we can be very very secure in this effort that God puts out. Not just to reach us primarily, but to keep reaching out to us. Are you doing okay? So the lost sheep speaks of great effort. Moves to the lost son. I mean the lost coin. Finding the lost coin speaks of great value. And then it speaks of the two lost sons. And that's the point that you miss if you don't get verse 2 and 3. Is that both of those boys are lost. One is lost through sin and one is lost through self-righteousness. Both of them have lost the heart of the Father. You do not? All three stories. In all three stories there's something that is out of position. In the first story, the sheep is out of position. In the second story, the coin is out of position. In the third story, the, the lost son, the prodigal, and as we've seen, both of them are out of position. But here's the point that Jesus is trying to bring across to these guys. Being out of position does not change something's value. It's the whole point of that chapter. It's the whole point. So when that sheep is lost, it's still a sheep. In South Africa, we have uh, we have high value uh, uh, coins, five rand coin. So I'm going to ask you to imagine you had a five dollar coin, hard coin, silver coin. You had a five dollar coin. So in your pocket, it's worth. And if it's lost and it's rolled in the gutter and gone down the drain, it's worth. And the son that's lost is still a. That's what Jesus is trying to communicate. And so he's trying to say to them, listen, you're self-righteousness. You're righteousness. Even if you are righteous, and I'm telling you now, he has a go at them here. This is going to get strong. Jesus has a real go at them here. Even if it is about your self-righteousness, I want to tell you something. The fact that you devalue something that is out of position is a big mistake. That's what he's trying to tell them. Are you doing all right? He has some strong words for them. I mean, we've got to read carefully. When we understand 2 and 3, then we understand how strong he's been with them. Yeah? Look at this real quick. So he tells him the story about the lost sheep, right? And then in verse 7 he says this, I'll tell you that in the same way, I used to read over this stuff, I'll tell you in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents, <coughs> listen carefully, than over one sinner who repents, than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Can you see the sarcasm that he's saying? You think you don't need to repent. Let me tell you, the Bible is very, very plain. All are born to sin. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Therefore, there's no one that doesn't need to repent. It's so sarcastic what he's doing to them. Hey? It is so sarcastic. And listen, and then he goes, and he can look at them and he can see in their eyes and he can see their hearts are still unchanged and he can see their hearts are still moved. Unmoved. And he goes on. And then listen carefully now. Verse 8. Well, suppose a woman has ten silver coins. Brilliant. She loses one. Where did she lose it? No, nobody knows. 
Nobody knows where she lost it, right? Yeah? She could have lost it on her way to town. She could have lost it on her way to her sister's house. She could have lost it. But what does she do? She lights a lamp and she sweeps the entire house. See, Jesus is saying, you in the house, but you just as lost. This is about the Pharisees. And when we understand two and three, we realize this, that this is more about the Pharisees than it is about the lost. And if it really is about the Pharisees, then it simply really is this. It's about how the Pharisees see the lost. Let me tell you, there's a message to the church today, my friends. How do we see the lost? You did right. Elisa, this is just me personally. If you get to know me, you'll, 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 you'll get to know I'm, 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 my thinking sometimes is a, a little bit out the box. But, but when I read stuff like this, I, and some of the other stories, which, I think sometimes Jesus must have been, in, just in the flesh now, because in my spirit I would love to hang around, but in the flesh I think, don't you think he must have been quite irritating to hang around with? <laughs> don't you think so? It's like he just hears them muttering and the next thing he has this thing laid out. You're like, seriously? I was just talking with my mate. Hey? <laughs> eh? You know? So many, so many times, you know? Jesus is like, uh, they, they will ask a simple question. He's like, okay, let me tell you a story. You're like, <laughs> just tell me the answer. <laughs> But we know this in the spirit. Jesus is the magnificent one. But nothing escapes him. And I'm telling you now, their hearts towards the lost, their hearts towards the bruised and the broken have irked something in Jesus. And he's saying, that cannot be, my friends. Going after it. And he goes after the Pharisees. And I want to tell you something. We're going to see this because it, unfortunately, it doesn't get any better for them. You know, this is like, do you want the good news and the bad news? So I want the bad news. For, well, the bad news is there is no good news. <laughs> There's no good news for the Pharisees in this chapter, but there is good news for us. Is that all right? So don't, don't be nervous, right? I know this looks strong, but there is good news in the end, I promise you. So like I said, so now we're going to concentrate on this last part. So we get this first part of the chapter is, is laying a foundation for us and telling us that actually this is about the Pharisees. That when Jesus is dressing these things, he's not so much speaking to the lost. Now I've used this evangelistically many times, and I think you can use it evangelistically. But I want to say this, that this is not a message to the lost. This chapter is a message to the church about the lost. Are you, are you doing all right? And so now we're going to move to those things. And so we're going to pick up on a couple of pointers there. So, so firstly we see this, the younger son says to the father, Give me my share of the inheritance. Now let me tell you something. In those days, that would have been about the most insulting thing a son could have done to his father. It would have been the most insulting thing. Because in reality, he's saying, I cannot wait for you to die. That's what he's saying. He literally is saying to his father, I wish you were dead. Yeah? My, my dad died about two and a half years ago. Two years ago maybe, I guess. Two and a half years ago. And that's when I got my inheritance. Well... I haven't got it yet because of South Africa's law system, but besides the point, right? That's the point at which the process for me to get my inheritance kicked in when my dad died. What this kid is saying is, I wish you were dead. I wish you were dead. 
I can't wait for you to die. Give me my share of the inheritance. He's unaffected by his father's pain. Imagine the pain in his father's eyes. Imagine the pain. And then it gets worse. He takes his inheritance, and the Bible tells us he leaves for a distant country, for a far-off country. And so what he's saying now is, I wish you were dead, but now that I've got my inheritance, I'm going to live as if you were dead. I'm going to go far away, and I'm going to live as far away from your influence and control and perspective and relationship as I possibly can. (coughs) And let me tell you, we've got people that deal with God like that, right? Bless me, Lord, but don't tell me what to do. Bless me, Lord. I want all the blessing. Give me my share. But I'm going to go spend my inheritance on riotous living, wild living. Some. So bless me. Keep blessing me. Keep looking after my family. Keep my family healthy. Keep blessing my finances. But I'm going to go and do all of these things outside of your control. We put ourselves in a dangerous place when we do that. And we see that because he goes away he goes off to this distant country and the Bible tells us that soon after that he begins to find himself in need. He spent all his money and he hires himself out to a citizen of that country. And now we see something here. Now this kid is off and, and, and the job that he's been given is to feed the pigs. In that context he would have been living with the pigs. So he's living with the pigs and feeding the pigs. Let me tell you, you, you get it? that's not a good place for a little Jewish boy to be, Right? They're not supposed to have anything to do with pork. And now he's living with them. Right? And he's starving, hungry. And he longs to fill his stomach with the pods, the slop, the leftovers that the pigs are eating. But no one would give him anything. You see, that shows the value that that foreigner put on him. You're less than a pig in this community, son. I don't care if you starve. As long as my pigs are cared for and looked after and fed. You see the picture that Jesus is painting for the Pharisees here? Now he's saying to them, you are like that foreigner. You are like that one. When, when, when some poor kid is lost, you want to devalue him. But I love this verse 17. It says this, is when he came to his senses. Yeah? Isn't that beautiful picture? It's like this duh moment, right? Yeah. Hey? Isn't it? Like sometimes you're wrestling with something and then you just have like the light bulbs come on and you're like, well, duh. And then it's so simple, right? I mean, of course you get it after that, but it's because you had the duh moment, right? And that's exactly what happens to this kid. He has this duh moment. He comes to his senses like duh. And he has his the revelation. He says this. He says, I will set out and go back to my father. Now let me tell you, that's brilliant. There's a little bit of good news before we get to the real good news. There's a little bit of good news for us here. Because he says this. He says, I will go back to my father. Wait, hang on a minute. You wished your father dead and you wished to live as if you didn't have a father. But his revelation is this is that no matter how far I go, no matter the effort I've gone to, to get away from my Father, He still is and always will be my Father. My Father. Not a Father. Mark's a Father, but He's not my Father. I'm a Father. Mark's, does that make sense? 
My Father, there's language here. There's language that is, that is strong and deep and powerful. When David writes, the Lord is my shepherd, he's not just saying the Lord is a shepherd. No, he's communicating something. He's my shepherd. There's ownership here and connectivity. And the Lord is my shepherd. When I'm the little sheepy that gets lost, my shepherd will come for me. Not simply a shepherd. My shepherd. And this kid has this duh moment. I will go back to my father's house. And his, and his revelation is this, that no matter how hard I try to, dis, to destroy that relationship, no matter how much I try to distort it, no matter how much I tried, that relationship can never be non-existent. Isn't that cool? And let me tell you, all men are created in the image of God. Can you see the lessons he's trying to teach the Pharisees here? All men are created in the image of God. So you can go out on the street and you can look at the worst of the worst. And you can know this by 100% theological certainty that that person, worst of the worst, strung out on cocaine, lying in the gutter, drunk, you can know this, that that person has a father in heaven who loves him and cares for him. Isn't that cool for us? Because now we go, you know what, when I'm trying to witness to somebody, and this is like a really hard case, right? Imagine the person who was trying to witness to me 30 years ago, right? My sister prayed for me and witnessed to me for 10 years. 10 years. My sister got saved when I was 15. I got saved when I was 25. I, I used to... My, my brother-in-law eventually came to me. My brother-in-law was a very aggressive man, ex-special forces. And my brother-in-law came to me and he said to me, you will have nothing more to do with your sister. He says, your sister cries for you every night and prays for you every night. But every time she comes around you, she comes back in tears because of the hurtful things you say to her. And he said this to me. He said, I know I can't keep your sister away from you, but I'm telling you, do not go near your sister. I'll take you out. Because of the hurt that I caused in her life. Because of the way she was witnessing to me. But I'm glad she didn't stop. I'm real glad. I'm real glad. Ten years. She witnessed to me, loved me, and prayed for me for ten years. I'm glad she didn't stop after nine and a half. Yeah? My father. My father. You can realize this. That relationship can be distorted, defiled. It can never be destroyed. It can never ever be destroyed take courage this evening my friends God in his omnipotence in his omniscience all knowingness could have chosen any title he could have chosen boss FA CEO he could have chosen anything and it would not have communicated this truth and this truth is a powerful truth I've got kids. My kids could do exactly what these kids did. Go live on the other side of the world, change their names, get plastic surgery, whatever it is that they want to do. But let me tell you something. No matter what and no matter how long, if you stick a needle in that kid and a needle in me, they're going to say these two things are connected. Right? There's a deep spiritual truth in that physical reality that we can never get away from our Heavenly Father. He will always be my Father. That's this kid's dough moment. Could have chosen any other title. 
as I said before, the lost sheep, the lost coin, the lost sons. I want to tell you, my friends, because God is eternal, His love for us will never end. His characteristics, part of His characteristics, describe His love. Because He's eternal, His love for us will never end. Because God is immutable, unchanging, His love for us will never change. I really feel like God wanted to liberate some of you this evening. During the worship, I felt it. Wondered if I should go and pray. But receive it now by His Spirit. God wants to free some of you from performance. I have to do this. Or because I did that, God loves me. If I don't do it anymore, God's going to... God is not like that. Maybe people can be like that sometimes, but God cannot impossible be like that. Because He is immutable. He is unchangeable. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That means His love for you is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And it's based on His character, not on your performance. It's based on His character. It's based on the truth that He's immutable. You doing okay? Because God is omnipotent. His love for us is all-powerful. Because God is omniscient. Yeah? All-knowing. Omniscient. God is all-knowing. God knows everything. It means He loves me and you in spite of what He knows about us. Isn't that incredible? Isn't that incredible? And let me tell you, those are precious relationships, human relationships, right? Those are precious relationships. Somebody that's seen you at your best and worst and chosen to love you anyway. Isn't that incredible? I mean, we strive for that. Husband and wife, brothers that will walk together, you know. We strive for that. This guy's seen me at my best. Seen me when I'm not great. Seen me preach a lemon and still had me back a few months later. You know what I'm saying? Just There's something in that. Let me tell you, God goes so far beyond what our understanding of that can even be. He loves us in spite of the fact that He knows everything about us. Not because of it, in spite of it. Now, doesn't it just liberate you this evening? Just take some pressure off you this evening? I shared a story with the lead team, you know, uh, this, 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 uh, this morning. Just, just saying there was a, there was a time that, that, that I got proud about my preaching and, and certain aspects of my ministry dried up. But, but I want to say this, there was, a, there was a time when I loved preaching. And I felt like God picked up this little shadow in my heart that I had begun to love ministry more than I loved Him. And I felt like God asked me this question. If I never let you say another word in my name, will you still love me? If you never do another thing if God never allows you to do another thing in His name, will you still love Him? Here's the more important question. Here's the more important question. 
do you still believe he loves you the same? It's not about our performance. not about what we have to do for him. not about anything we can do for him. You doing all right? Because God is omnipresent. His love is everywhere, all the time, and always sufficient for every situation. He's omnipotent, omnipresent. You doing all right? The love of God is magnificent, eh? It really, really, really is. Let God love me. When I was cursing my sister, God loved me. When I was begging on my sister, ripping on my sister, my sister would come and share some of these truths with me. God loves you. Honestly, I mean, I was so ugly to her. I would say this seriously. Do Do you have brain damage? Is there something wrong with you? Next day she'd be back. I used to race motorbikes in those days and she'd come to me before her race and she'd say, Terry, I'm praying for you. Praying that you'll be safe. I would say, are you stupid? This thing is a piece of metal. It doesn't have a mother. It doesn't have a father. It's not going to heaven or hell. It's got handlebars. It goes where I point it. Well, that's not always true and I've got scars to prove it. But (laughs) Do you think I need your prayers? That's how I would talk to her. And in that place, God loved me. Mocking my sister. Mocking God. This stuff here, as much as God loves me today, that's how much He loved me then. And He doesn't love me anymore, besides the fact that I've given the last 25 years of my life to preaching the gospel around the world. It has meant absolutely nothing in terms of His love for me. Isn't that freeing for you tonight? Be liberated in the love of God tonight, my friends. Let's move down here real quick, just for the sake of time. And I want to say this. So so the son has this dirt moment, and he sets off to go to his father, and immediately as he makes that decision, I'm going to go to my dad. And I tell you, man, decision-making has to be followed up by action, right? Yeah? It really does. And there were two frogs sitting on a log. You've heard the story, right? Two frogs sitting on a log. One decided to jump. How many were left? Two. He just decided to jump. He never jumped. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) My apologies. (laughs) But but you understand what I'm saying? So so many times we want to make spiritual decisions and 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 we come to these things, but it's got to be followed through by action. And so he decides, he says, I'm going to go back to my father's house. And then the Bible says he set off to go back to his father's house. It's almost like double speak. Why would we need that? No, but we do need that. Because he decided and he went. And the minute he went, he started preparing the speech. I'm going to go back to my father's house. And I'm going to say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven. And, and he prays the speech. How many of you as kids got in trouble? And you knew, Dad's coming home at 4 o'clock, or Mom's coming home. Oh, I better have my story straight by the time they get you, right? So he started working on the speech. Yeah? And this kid had a long time for the speech. He had a long time. He walked home. And the Bible says he went to distant countries. He had a lot of time to plan his speech. 
I'll tell you, my, my, my father was a, he got saved late in life. For the first 70 years of my father's life, he lived like an absolute savage. He was a brutal, violent man. Got saved in the last couple of years of his life. I don't, I don't believe I've ever seen such a radical transformation in a human being. My dad got saved. Had the privilege of leading my mom and my dad to the Lord. But when I was about 15, I borrowed my dad's truck. Now in South Africa, you can only drive at 18, right? That's when you get a license, driver's license in South Africa. No 16, driver's license, 15. And I borrowed my dad's truck and I was off visiting with a girl. And suddenly I looked and I realized I'm going to get home after my dad is supposed to be home. And I'm in his truck. And so I started racing home and we lived on this steep downhill like this. And the way my parents had, had their, they had this uh, precast driveway with, with precast walling both sides. And so the uphill side of that yard, of that hill, that was my parents' yard. And on the other side of this precast wall, that was the neighbor's yard, right? You get it. So I'm coming down the hill and I'm racing because I'm hoping against hope. Maybe my dad's been delayed. Maybe my dad's late. Maybe I can somehow sneak this truck in before he gets in. I come flying down the hill like this and I grab a gear. You know, like I said, I was already racing motorcycles, so I thought I had this whole speed and distance thing worked out, but like I said, it doesn't always work out the way you planned it. And I grabbed a gear and that pickup truck snapped sideways like this. And I corrected it, but now I realized I was going too fast, so I grabbed another gear, it snapped sideways, and when it straightened out, I hit that second precast wall at about a 45 degree angle. And I went right through that precast wall into the neighbor's yard, and I high mounted the pickup truck on their rock garden. And I looked out the, because we've got, uh, yeah. So I, so I looked out the side window of the truck now, through this hole in the fence, and down the driveway, and to the back door, and the first person that came out the back door was my father. Hey, this kid had months. I had minutes. I thought, honestly, I thought, I have survived the wreck to die at the hands of my father. And I asked him, I said he knew my dad. I don't know if you've ever seen, have you ever seen the All Blacks play rugby? You know, they, they do that haka, you know, it's a, it's a Maori war dance. And, and, and the point of doing it in rugby is like it's a war dance. It's like saying, this is what we've got, now let's see what you've got. Okay, let's play rugby. And that's what my father looked like coming out of that thing. He was like, God, like this. I thought, you're going to kill me. I'm going to die right here in my own driveway. This kid had months of preparation. Months to prepare. And I, I, I often forget. Sandy always tells me, you forget to tell the end of the story with your dad. Because I always tell these stories. But I, honestly, my dad got saved. But, but the end of that story, you know, my, my father came there. I mean, he, he extruded me out of that truck. And he whooped on me. And he chucked rocks. And he kicked that truck. The, the, the funny thing, and I mean, we were able to laugh about it years later. The funny thing is, he went back inside and said to my mom, I think I handled that quite well, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> but, but here's the thing, you know, so here's, this, so here's the son with his speech, and he goes back to his father, he's going to tell his father all of these things, but I love the father's response, because the Bible tells us that the father ran to him. And as the, as the opening lines of this speech come out of the sun, the father says, shh, 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 
I don't want to hear it, boy. And he says to his and he says to his his servants, Quick, bring the robe. The robe speaks of identity. Just as much as the son had this duh moment, I'm going to go back to my father. And remember his language. I'm going to go back to my father and I'm going to say to him, Father, make me like one of your servants. Let me tell you, you cannot be a servant in your father's house if you're a son. It's impossible. And there's truth in that, right? Truth for our parenting. I tell my kids, you can't be a servant in this house. Am I excusing them from chores? No. I, there's more to do as a son. But a servant waits to be told what to do. A servant does it because of an instruction. So I tell my kids, listen, if you walk past a full trash can, you're acting like a servant. And God's called you to do something more than that. So this is what a son does. A son sees the trash can full and he takes it out and puts it in the big trash outside. That's how a son responds. And this is, the servant does it because he's going to get a paycheck. The son looks after the affairs of the household because he's going to inherit the house. There's a much better reason to do your chores. Isn't that right? And let me tell you, if we could bring that into the life of the church, then we don't have to worry who's going to pack up the sangha, who's going to set up the chair, who's going to greet the visitors. And let me tell you, when we grip this thing that we are all sons in the household of God, then we're all going to greet the visitors. We're all going to set out the chairs. We're all going to pack up the sun gear. Because we're sons. This is part of our inheritance. Right? Same thing with NCMR. That's the household that God is joining you to. Start praying for the nations. Start taking ownership of church plants around the world. Praying for church plants. They're your church plants. It's your inheritance. Take care of it. That's how sons operate. You do right. So the father says, give him the robe. He wants, he, he wants to return his identity. He says, bring the sandals. Servants went bare feet. Sons wore shoes. And this is the one that blows my mind the, the, the most. He says, bring a ring and put it on his finger. Now, let me tell you something. In those days, the ring was a modern day version of a credit card. That meant that his son could go to town and do business on his behalf, put the stamp of his ring and the father would have to pay for it. Are you kidding me? This kid that's just blown his inheritance on wild living, on righteous living, the first thing you're going to do when he comes, the first thing you're going to do when he comes home, give him a credit card, You see, God's love for us is always instantaneous. And it is always instantaneously complete. We don't earn the right to these things in God. God loves us instantaneously and completely. You do not. So similar to the to the text. The Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit speaks the Father's voice out of heaven and says, this is my son over Jesus. This is my son, whom I love, with him I'm well pleased. This is my son, identity. Whom I love, affection. With him I'm well pleased, favor. And Jesus hasn't done anything yet, right? That's the first thing. 
He hasn't preached the sermon. He hasn't raised the dead. He hasn't healed the sick. He hasn't been with the lepers. Nothing. And yet the word of the Father over him is, this is my son. Receive identity tonight, my friends. Sons and daughters of the living God, receive identity. Receive identity. It doesn't matter what other people have said over you. And I grew up, my father's word that he used to call me was a cuss word. I can't say it. It was a curse word. The word my father used to call me. But when I got saved, I realized this. I became instantaneously a son of the living God. And I realized this, that the voice of my heavenly father very, very quickly had to become louder than the voice of my earthly father so that my heavenly father could speak my identity over me. And the identity that my, my earthly father had spoken over me evaporated as I began to receive that identity. Receive identity this morning, this, this evening. Sons and daughters of God, whom I love, Receive affection tonight. With you, I am well pleased. Receive favor tonight. Is that all right? No, I don't have to do anything to deserve it. You have to receive it. He's done it all. It's finished. It's complete. Father gets it. He says, this son of mine. Just like the son said, I'm going to go back to my father. The father says, this son of mine is this double ownership it's wonderful eh? we, when we first arrived in in Los Angeles there was a Mexican an older Mexican gentleman had a family that really brought us into his family you know and uh, it, was a, it was a wonderful relationship in the end we, we ended up leading some of his kids to the Lord and him to the Lord but he would use this term over me credible Spanish term mijo and it's a combination of two words right mi hijo and he would say mijo and it's amazing because his son his older sons adult sons his sons would come to me and say to me I've never heard my father use that term over anybody else than his sons but he calls you mijo Incredible thing. Mijo, my son. Mi hijo, my son. But the Mexicans combine it and they say mijo. Or for a girl, mija. Mijo. But it communicates, and that's what this father is doing when he says, the son of man. There's a communication, there's an ownership here. And you see the older brother. And here we get back to the Pharisees. The older brother is actually more of a problem child than the younger one. He's alienated from his father. But listen carefully. He's busy with his father's business, right? That's what he says. I've slaved for you. I've never disobeyed your orders. But I'm telling you, he's just as lost as the younger son. He's busy with the father's things, but he's lost the heart of the father. Lost the heart of the father. Self-righteous. He looked down on his brother. Have you ever seen Rembrandt's painting called The Prodigal? It's a beautiful painting. I, mean, I haven't seen it live. I've just seen it. It's in uh, St. Petersburg. But he, he, in this painting, you see the father, you see the prodigal come home. 
And the father is, the, the, the prodigal's face is literally in the father's robe. And, and, the, and the father is bent over, embracing this younger son that's come home. And this kid has come back in, ra- in rags. And the father's got this very rich, ornate red robe on. And he's reaching over him like this. Just open hands on his back. Just this affection. And the older brother is standing elevated on a step. Looking very disinterested and unmoved. See, I'm so much better than you. I'm elevated. I'm separated from this. He's separated from the father. The younger son was separated by sin and geography. The older son was separated by sin, by self-righteousness and by attitude of the heart. He judged his brother. And let me tell you, my friends, if there's one thing the church has to quit doing, it's judging people. We have to quit judging. I, I want to tell you something, my friends. You get a, can, can I just be honest with you for a minute? I'm, I'm amongst friends, I hope. You get a puppy to stop peeing on the carpet by rubbing its nose in it. You don't get a sinner to stop sinning by pointing at his sin. You get a sinner to stop sinning by pointing at the love of the Father. You doing right? And let me tell you, when you're stuck in your sin, when you're stuck in your sin, you don't need anybody to tell you that. You know. You know. We need to start pointing back to the Father. Stop pointing at the Son. Stop pointing at them. Point to the Father. See, Jesus is telling the Pharisees something. He's telling them, you think the line is over here. You think the line for sin is over here. And the sinners are over there and you're over here. Remember the thing that he said? 99, over, over 99 who do not need to repent. The Bible's plain. Everybody needs to repent. But these guys thought they were across the line. They thought their self-righteousness got them across the line. And it never will. It never has. And he's saying, you think the line is over here. The line's back there. That's why Jesus had to come. The line was impossible to keep. The law was impossible to keep. That's why we needed a Savior. If the law, if it was possible to earn our salvation through keeping the law, Jesus did not need to go to the cross. He didn't need to go because then there was another way. And Jesus prayed that. Not my will, but yours be done. If there's another way, but nevertheless, Father, your will, not mine, be done. Everybody behind the line. Right? When Jesus made that line, when Jesus spoke, he, 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 he was graphic with where he put that line. Because Moses said, if you commit adultery, and Jesus said, if you've even looked at a woman with lust in your heart, you've committed adultery. Yeah? You've even called somebody raka, fool, idiot, moron. If you've called somebody that, you've committed murder. My word. Where's that line? That line's way back there. That's why we all need a savior. We're all over the line. Right? If you've even looked at a woman, my definition of that, if you've looked at bacon and eggs too long, you've committed breakfast in your heart. Yeah? <laughs> I thought we needed to lighten that up a bit. Some of you were looking at me like, seriously. But he understand that. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. 
all, when all men have sinned. We've all sinned. And we're all sons of Adam. That's why we needed second Adam. Anyway, I don't want to go into it. Is that, is that alright? We've got to remember that when we're dealing with sinners. We've got to remember that when we're dealing with sinners. I, I, I suffered, personally, I suffered a great loss this year. With a, with a friend of mine in Phoenix, a, a, a key young man, 26 years old, veteran, served in Iraq and Afghanistan, got saved into a, buddies of my, a buddy of mine's church, uh, Marco and, and Andrea. Incredible young man with a future and the call of God on his life. And he just slipped up one time. And he used to, post-traumatic stress disorder, he, he used to be hooked on cocaine, but he had cleaned up, he's got saved, love of God. But he just slipped one time. And what they suspect was that he took heroin, and because he was, he'd never taken heroin before, he took too much and died of an overdose in the middle of the night. It's, a, it's, a, it's, such, a, it's such a dreadful thing, sin. It, it really is. It really is. We've got to deal with it then. But we deal with it in the love of God. We deal with it in the love of God. Is that alright? I don't know why I told that story. So we better quit judging. It's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. But note this. This is the good news for the Pharisees. The Father goes out to the older son. And they always tell us this, historians always tell us this, it was very undignified for the father to run out and meet his, his younger son coming back. But as I've studied this, it would have been more embarrassing, been more undignified for the father to leave the banquet with all his guests, with the whole village there, and go out to his older son to try and say to him, come back in. But it shows the heart of the father. It shows the heart of the father. See, the older brother is far from his father's heart. The older brother names his brother sin. The father never does, and he won't even let the younger brother. It's only the older brother, when you get right to the end of the story, that he says, this son of yours spent your inheritance on prostitutes. The father never allowed the son, the son to say that, and the father never named it. God doesn't want to name our sin, man. God wants to name us, my son, miho, my daughter, miha. That's what God wants to name, not the sin. He's unmoved, the older brother is unmoved by his father's pain. And let me tell you, for me, that is such a key sign. Let me tell you something, my friends. We've got to watch this in our lives because I'm telling you, it's easy to slip into. When we've lost the pain of the lost, when we unmoved by our father's pain, for this lost and dying world, we've got to be careful that some of these things are not taking root in our hearts. Are you doing alright? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, I'm, I turned 50 in a couple of months, but this this, this thing is not... The, the, the burden for this thing is not lifted as I've matured. I, I want to tell you something. It has got worse. It's not unbearable because we bear these burdens in God. But I want to tell you this thing. 
I'm not, I'm not a I know this is probably going to surprise you looking at me, but I'm not a touchy-feely person. I'm not a, you know, <laughs> I'm not an emotional person. But I want to tell you something. Sometimes when I look at lost people, I, I literally am weeping. We've got an expression. I don't know what, what I don't know if there's an American expression, but just shame. You know, it's like poor thing in Spanish, pobrecito. You know, so poor thing. You know what I mean? When you really like, you know, I guess Americans say I don't know what. What do Americans say for that? When you're broken hearted for somebody, what's your what would be your expression for that? Is there some is there something? That's a pity. Yeah. No, I don't know. We we do, we do that. Somebody trips and hurts. You know, they trip and fall and hurt themselves. You're like, oh shame, buddy, you're right. You know what I mean? It's like it's an expression of compassion and like I'm sorry you got hurt. I I, I promise you, my heart bleeds sometimes. <coughs> just looking at stuff and just going, I'm broken. That guy that died of an overdose. I, I was in Phoenix after he died. And I preached this sermon with his mom sitting there. And his mom came to me afterwards and said, Thank you for freeing me. She said, Because I, even in his death, I judged Matt. He's unmoved by his father's pain from his father's heart he never related to his father's pain when the son left that's why he couldn't relate to his father's joy when the son returned that's why he didn't care it's like, why are you throwing the party he was unmoved by the pain of his father's heart that's why he was unmoved by his father's joy can you see he's got a disconnect with his, what his father's going through he thought he could earn his father's love and affection by doing all the right things let me tell you, my friends, across the world, we've got churches full of people like that that think they can earn the Father's love by doing all the right things. It's bondage. It's bondage. It's legalism. He kept the law of the Father, but he missed the heart of the Father. But here's the good news. You ready for some good news? Because it's quite tough to hear some of that stuff. Eh? Here's the good news. See, the youngest son is separated by sin. The older son is separated by self-righteousness. That's why I said that both sons are lost. But you can remember I told you there's a third prodigal. Yeah? This is what I saw in the airplane flying to Johannesburg. There's a third son. It's the son that's telling the story. It's Jesus Christ. The son of God. There's a third son here. And the one telling the story knew and kept the law of his father like the older brother perfectly. That's why he could say, do not think I've come to abolish the law or the prophets, I've come to fulfill them. But he also knew and understood the heart of his father perfectly. That's why he could say, anyone who's seen me has seen the father. See, Jesus became a prodigal for our sake. The word prodigal means wasteful, extravagant. Now, I don't think Jesus was wasteful, but he was extravagant. Pouring out his love for us, pouring out his life for us, withholding nothing. There was a word about withholding tonight. Withholding nothing from us. He spent himself on our behalf. Not in disobedience like the younger son, 
but in perfect obedience to his father's will. He left his father's house, left heaven, to go to a distant country, to come to earth. Just like that younger son was devalued, came to a people that did not love him, that did not value him, who despised him. I want to say that the younger brother wasted his inheritance the older brother wasted his life but Jesus recklessly extravagant spent his life on our behalf holding nothing back ensuring a great salvation now like I said Jesus is omniscient so he knew about the cross he knew all that was about to happen. He knew the price he was going to pay. And he's trying to say to these Pharisees, I want you to get it. I want you to get it. Don't devalue people that are lost. Don't devalue people that are not like you. And secondly, if you are going to be like that, you are just as lost as the lost. He's trying to tell them here. Jesus yielded profusely to his father's heart for reconciliation between him and his lost sons and daughters. Now let me tell you, that's good news. That's good news. As much as there are these tough truths that we have to, that we have to learn and we have to look at and we have to self-evaluate regularly. Am I just keeping the law of my father but I've lost the heart of my father? I'm telling you now. We put ourselves in a dangerous place. It's to those people that Jesus would say, Tell that story. The woman lit the lamp and searched her house. You're in the house, but you've lost the heart of the Father. Let's stand together. Let's leave it there. Can I pray for you? Is that all right? Let's stand. Let's stand. Let's stand.